Welcome to Innisfil Accelerates, a podcast about the people and technology that are transforming one Ontario town. Today, we're talking about cars. Auto dealerships have been around for a long time, and it's a business that most of us don't think too much about until, of course, it's time to buy a new car. But even then, the cars are always new, but the dealership, well, the dealership pretty much stays the same. You always go to the experts. That's why you always take your GM car to your GM dealer. The riding and driving thrill of a lifetime. The Quadrapoise ride. There's never been anything like it before. And here's graphic proof. But things couldn't stay the same forever, and eventually, technology started to change things. Online classifieds were the first big revolution. Suddenly, buyers and sellers could be instantly connected in a way that was totally unimaginable just a few decades previously. Now, COVID-19 is changing things once again. When the pandemic started, industry experts were predicting the car market was likely about to go into freefall. But then something surprising happened. Now, the experts are telling us they're going up. The dealers are telling us they can't get enough supply. But what exactly is going on? So people started turning to more budget-friendly used cars, and then those vehicles began flying off of dealership lots. It's been mental, hasn't it? I mean, you were at Snow's recently, watching an online auction, and the price of stock is quite incredible at the moment. People were suddenly unwilling or unable to use public transit. So the car market, and especially the used car market, started to explode. The huge increase in demand was good for dealers in the short term, Supply has started to dry up, and demand remains unusually high. Now, dealers need to know quickly when people want to sell their used vehicles, and the best way to do that is to keep a close eye on classified sites. But if you're in a heavily populated area, that can become annoying. I'm sorry, the person you called cannot be reached now. But John Allman thinks he has a better way. A second-generation car dealer, John has been working on an app that makes tracking, contacting, and negotiating with sellers really easy. And the minute that one of them pops up on Kijiji, AutoTrader, or Craigslist, I get notified instantly by email. Over the next 30 minutes, we're going to learn more about AutoPulse and how John was able to build a software company from scratch. So basically the way Autopulse started um, was actually trying to solve a problem for myself. I'm a dealer myself and about five and a half years ago I was uh, I started shipping vehicles down to the U.S., specifically Jeep Wranglers. And what I noticed was um, it was very difficult going to the traditional purchasing options, which are going to the auction for dealers. It was very difficult to find you know, vehicles that were a good deal, so to speak, where I could ship them and uh, and make some money. And I knew there was a lot of opportunity buying privately through, you know, the Kijijis, the auto traders of the world. But the, the problem with doing that is it's, it's extremely tedious and time consuming doing it the conventional way. You're always sitting at your computer, you're always hitting refresh, and you feel that any time that you stepped away from your computer, whether it was to, to go eat or to spend time with your family, um, you felt like you might miss an opportunity because if you came back to your computer a few hours later, you know, you might have found something that is a potential opportunity, but it's too late. Somebody else has already found it and 
they went and bought the vehicle and there goes, uh, you know, your chance of making, uh, you know, an income. So I basically sat there and I said, there has to be a better way. There has to be a way to automate this process. And uh, I basically hired a guy on Elance, which is now Upwork. And I said, hey, there's got to be a way where I set my search criteria to certain vehicles. And the minute that one of them pops up on Kijiji, AutoTrader or Craigslist, I get notified instantly by email. And sure enough, that's what we created. And it basically turned my dealership from selling, I would say, 40 cars a year to over 200 because it just created such an efficient environment for myself where, you know, as soon as a vehicle comes up, I can quickly look on my email. Is it a deal? Is it not a deal? You know, I can call that person or just say pass if it wasn't a great deal. And then while I'm driving to that specific Jeep that I'm trying to buy with my truck and trailer and cash in my pocket, I would get another email and then I'd set up my next appointment. So I, I was buying two to three to four private sales in a day which conventionally is extremely difficult to do. You'd be lucky to do one. So just created a more efficient dealer being myself. So in the end, I didn't really start Autopulse with the, I guess, anticipation I was going to sell it to other dealers, which is what we're doing now. It actually just started as a need that I found for myself in order to drum up more business for myself. So give me the uh, idea of how the system works. You kind of laid it out there that it you can put in the criteria, the kind of vehicles you're looking for, and it just gives you back that, that information. Tell me a little bit more about tweaking that process to make it as, I guess, usable, not just for yourself, but for others as well, as you mentioned, trying to sell it onto other dealerships. No, it's a great question because when I created the first iteration of Autopulse, which wasn't even called Autopulse at the time, it looked like it was built in the 1980s, but it worked, which was the most important thing. And I remember this is when we had the light bulb moment. I remember when a dealer that I was selling Jeeps to down in the South, they called me and said, John, we need more Jeeps. And I said to him, I said, if I can't find you Jeeps, nobody can. And he's like, what do you mean by that? And I said, well, I have the software that scours the internet. And the minute that a you know private sale Jeep Wrangler or even a dealer sale Jeep Wrangler comes up for sale, Within a 500 kilometer radius of where I was living, I get notified instantly. And like, so I, I know of every Jeep, basically. And he's like, oh my God, like, I'd love to have that software you know, for myself down in Atlanta. He was down in Atlanta. And that's kind of when the light bulb moment happened. So to answer your question, to take it from the 1980s first iteration of what we had to the product that we have today, it's taken five years. It's taken a lot of trial and error. Uh, we were fortunate enough to have a two-month trial with Mannheim Auctions, which is the number one auction house in North America. They're owned by Cox Automotive, like a big deal. And it went extremely well, but we learned a lot. We learned how exactly the software needed to function to be consumer-friendly. And by consumer, I mean, we're only selling it to dealers, right? Because dealers are the ones that are constantly looking for vehicles day in and day out. So you come up through you know, the automotive industry and the dealership industry, right? So talk to me about, I mean, that's that's a very um, established industry. The way that you work inside that industry has been established for, for decades. And not to say that there isn't some innovation, but it's it's pretty well understood about how this thing works. Whereas developing a new piece of software and entering into the software market is, you know, it seems like it's changing every, every three to six weeks, let alone uh, three to five years as you've been working on this. So just talk to me about kind of reorienting your business acumen into this new world, because I bet you there was a, a hell of a learning curve there. Yeah. So I'm a second generation car dealer. My parents owned a car lot for 40 years. That's kind of where I learned, uh, you know, most of everything that I know. And uh, when the opportunity came up 
shipping vehicles down the U.S. And I figured out, you know, private sales are, you know, they're lucrative if you can get there quick enough. You know, trying to teach the automotive industry, which is typically an old boys club, new methodologies is not the easiest thing. So we had to tailor our system where we weren't disrupting what people are used to doing every day. We were just adding to it. It has been a challenge. Some old school dealers are like, no, 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 it's too much work, blah, blah, blah. But the guys who are kind of in front of the wave of technology, they looked at it and they just, this is brilliant. Like you should be charging more. Like that's kind of their their attitude. So we're not going to get every dealer in Canada signed up to this. We know that. It's going to be the tech forward folks that really understand that, um, you know, adding you know, more sales to your bottom line through different technique is important, but it's very true. I, I, you know, sometimes it's teaching old dogs new tricks. What about for yourself though, um, coming out from, you know, as you said, being a second generation guy in the auto industry to now developing a piece of software, did you find that your skill sets were applicable to this new thing? Or did you have to kind of teach yourself a whole new rule book about how to run this business, how to design the software and sell it? Um, I'm interested to kind of hear that development just in terms of your personal development. Yeah. So basically when it started, my parents, um, they basically sold their their property that the dealership was on. So I kind of took the torch and I really loved the exporting aspect of the business rather than the retail aspect, so to speak. Because, you know, when you're exporting, it's a situation where you call somebody and you say, hey, I have a Jeep. It's a 2015. It's got this many kilometers or miles on it. And it's this price. Do you want it? And it's like a yes or a no versus the retail world where a customer walks in, they drive it, they, oh, I got to think about it. So for me, switching from a retail uh, oriented dealership to an exporting dealership was actually a huge, uh, huge shift that I loved. And so adding this technology just made me more efficient and got me away from retail even more. So I was okay with that. I, I love the, uh, the more wholesale export version of everything. But uh, I, I wouldn't say there's, for myself, there wasn't a lot of uh, growing pains because I was already searching Kijiji and Auto Trader for, you know, deals already. This just kind of sped everything up for me. What about building that team around yourself? You mentioned that you've reached and found your first coder on Upwork and, you know, now you're kind of associated with uh, the DMZ and Innisfil and there is that kind of, uh, that sort of tech atmosphere, young developers and other entrepreneurs have you drawn on that? And what has that given you in terms of support? So you kind of hit the nail on the head. Our struggles over the last five years have been centered 99% around reliable development. Um, when we started with uh, the guy in Upwork, he was in Russia and we just didn't feel that. And he told us he didn't have the time to take this on as a full-time gig. Then we moved to another team overseas to try to reduce costs struggle there again. Um, so that's really been our challenge. So when we got accepted into the DMZ, it was quite the honor because uh, according to the statistics, only 6% of the companies that apply actually get accepted. So we were uh, thrilled to say the least. And they basically on day one or two put us in contact with a reliable development team here um, in Ontario uh, they're not the the cheapest, but they get the job done in shorter hours than it would take, you know, these people overseas. So what, you know, they charge uh, $40 an hour, but take three hours to do our guys doing it an hour. So it's, it's kind of been a shift in that mindset where 
it's not all about how much do they charge per hour, but you know, how efficient are they? And that's kind of been part of the learning curve. Um, the development team that we now work with are part of the DMZ in their own right, working on other projects. So they know the struggles and the, the trials and tribulations of a startup. So we're kind of all in this together. They know that if we become successful, they're going to be our go-to people. And it's just going to be, you know, everybody, you know, rising tides lift all boats kind of thing. Yeah. You put your finger on something really interesting there, which is that, you know, your struggle to find a company that you could do business with in terms of finding a developer that you could do business with that didn't rip you off, that you actually had a personal relationship with, that you could go to with a problem and actually get a solution in a reasonable amount of time for a reasonable cost. These are things that you can't put uh, a dollar price sign on, just a, just the headaches alone that you're saving yourself to have just a team and a group of people that you can trust and, 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 and trust you has got to be huge. Yeah. You know, being the little guy on a budget, um, it's never easy approaching any type of tech firm, agency, whatever you want to call it. So we had to be very diligent and careful with, you know, who we chose because we didn't want to blow through our budget, you know, in a few months when we needed it to last years. But yeah, the finding reliable people that can do what they say they can do is extremely difficult. So the fact that we have a team right now, you know, takes a huge burden off our shoulders and lets us focus on what needs to be focused on right now. And that is making sure that in practice, what we've provided to dealers works and they're using it and there's no real kinks or bugs or anything that's really going to deter them from using it and get them results. So you know, it's really just real world application. And, and that's kind of where we are at this point. Did you struggle with how to price the product and how, like, you know, there's the the struggle with, uh, or, or the move in software to develop like a software as a service model, where people are paying you a subscription, or you could just give the a, a big upfront cost to, to buy it. Talk to me about that debate and, and, and to, to figure out the right model for this product. Was that a big deal for you guys? Great question. It was one of the hardest things that we've had to do. Um, we have bounced around anywhere from $99 a month to $1,500 a month. And, you know, we, we've talked to several people in the industry. Some have told us, use the $99 a month strategy, get every dealer that you could possibly know on board. And then from there, you, you upgrade, sell them with this and that and reporting and analytics and da, 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 da. And then on the flip side, we've had people that say, John, like you need to price this thing at $14.99 a month because the people who get it, the tech forward people, they're going to be willing to pay it because the results are, you know, astounding. Like just to kind of put the numbers into perspective, our average dealers, like franchise dealers who implement this, they are selling an additional five to 10 cars a month and if you kind of put those numbers in perspective, you're selling 10 cars a month, the average car, when you add, you know, financing and you add warranties and you add service, like the lifetime value of 10 new customers goes so far beyond just, you know, what did you make on the car and what did you make on the warranty? But, you know, we're talking ROIs that are like 10 to one. You literally can pay for Autopulse in one month's work for the entire year. So that's, the rationale behind going very high in terms of the pricing, but then there's the rationale of, hey, just get in and then go from there. So we've kind of found a, I don't want to say a middle ground, but we're we're pricing it somewhere between $8.99 and $9.99 a month because the dealers who get it, you know, they look at it as an investment with a great rate of return. And the dealers that don't get it, 
that they won't even pay $99 a month. So we, we've kind of settled in there. And quite frankly, the DMZ and the, uh, the entrepreneurs that they have in residence um, helping us, they're really stressed not to shortchange ourselves because the amount of work, the amount of years, the blood, sweat and tears, as they say, you know, our product is extremely, you know, successful when implemented properly that people are going to be happy to pay that amount. So it's a great question. And for anyone listening, the, the pricing of a SaaS product is one of the hardest things that we've had to do. Talk to me about selling a piece of software as opposed to selling a vehicle. As you mentioned, you came up with your parents on a lot. I'm sure you learned every sales trick in the book. How applicable are those lessons to selling software? Did you have to kind of learn a whole new thing or is it just selling is selling? You know what? It. Um, I'd, I wish I could say selling is selling, but you know, one of the challenges we had, you know, and I, I've been selling for you know quite a while, and it was who do I speak to at the dealership that is going to use it, but also has the authority to pull the trigger and finding the person that can understand what you're trying to sell too. I suppose, right? Exactly, exactly. So, like a general manager of a franchise store. For the most part, you know, they they know exactly what's going on in the store. But if they don't have a sales background, they may not understand, you know, how effective this really is. But for the most part, you know, we we talk to people in the automotive industry and they just see this as a huge opportunity because there aren't there's no other product out there like it. It's really the only software tool that allows your dealership to be proactive rather than reactive um, with regards to reaching out to customers. Because, you know, if, some, if you're a GM dealer and, you know, there's a private seller around the corner selling a Chevy Cruze, how valuable would it be to, to know that and be the first one to know that? And the answer is extremely valuable. Just the other day, we uh, at one of the dealerships that we uh, work with, they hired a person specifically for Autopulse leads in the first day they booked two appointments. Like it's two appointments a day you know, times, you know, let's say 20 working days, it's 40 appointments in a week, you sell half of them, the average, you know, closing rates around 50%. I mean, you know, maybe that's just a, a really good day. But you know, to, to achieve five to 10 cars a month, which, uh, you know, at eight nine a month, it's quite the ROI. Indeed. And I wonder, like, are you still managing your dealerships as well, as well as trying to build this software company at the same time? So I've transitioned from my own dealership shipping cars to the U.S. because it took a little bit of a dip for a while. So I've actually transitioned to now I'm a used car manager at a GM franchise. So I am in the atmosphere all day, every day for my target client, kind of like an undercover boss, so to speak. So I see the challenges that, you know, dealerships face when trying to implement autopulse. And that's why I'm there. And the dealership that I'm with are extremely supportive. They see the value. We've uh, been implemented for about two months now, and we've done somewhere between six and eight transactions, whether it's just buying the customer's vehicle for our inventory, because right now inventory is extremely low on used car lots or it's trading in towards a new vehicle. I was just going to ask that because trying to balance a day job with trying to build a company on the side has got to be incredibly labor intensive. Do you sleep? I guess is my question. <laughs> it's uh, long hours and I have a very supportive wife, which is uh, necessary when you have two young kids and working full time and trying to get a startup off the ground. So, you know, it it's definitely been difficult. It's been a long road, but uh, we're battling and, uh, 
you know, you hear the stories of most of the other successful startups, whether it's in automotive or anywhere. I, I remember reading, uh, I believe it was the Dropbox founder. He basically started, failed, started, failed, started, failed, went and got a job, started, failed, and then it finally took off on about the sixth or seventh try. And uh, so those are kind of the, the, the stories that I always remind myself when sometimes, you know, it gets challenging at times. There's time to question yourself. You're like, you know, what the hell am I doing this for? But, you know, in the end, our, you know, the goal that I really have is to try and get more sales for dealerships. It provides a more stable work environment for the people that work there, whether it's the salespeople, because it's a tough industry as a salesperson, right? You're on 100% commission. Some months you, you kill it and some months you don't. So to add those extra sales to put, you know, $500,000 into the pockets of a salesperson, which also puts money in the manager's pockets and the accounting pockets and the service pockets and just like the automotive industry provides so many, you know, middle-class, well-paying jobs that I just would love to contribute to that in my own way and just provide a lot of value. In terms of that long-term vision, you touched on a little bit there, like kind of looking out to the future. I know it's going to be such a grind and and just trying to get the thing up and running and to try and look out 12 months, five years, 10 years can't be easy, but in your quiet moments, whenever you get them, what what do you look out of the future and see in terms of this product and even just your own journey in the the tech field more generally? Well, um, the tech field right now is, is changing, especially in the automotive world. Um, just within the last, I would say, five to seven years, the thought of dealers buying vehicles at auction without touching, feeling, or even starting the car sounded crazy. My dad, for example, like he wouldn't be able to wrap his head around it. But now dealers are basically buying cars every day digitally, right? Where dealers take photos, they, you know, they kind of try to represent the cars as best they can. It's not always perfect, but it's a very efficient platform. And I, and I also look at the founders of those software products and they were all dealers trying to solve a problem, right? At the time they wanted to solve this, like for example, Carfax uh, or Carproof as it started, um, founded out in London, Ontario. You know, they, they were dealers trying to solve a problem. They end up getting bought out by the US company Carfax. Um, you have another company that's the uh, leader in the online dealer auction platform and he was a dealer himself just trying to solve another problem make a situation more efficient and then i look at ourselves it's kind of the same thing we're kind of following down that same road where you know i'm a dealer i was trying to solve a problem that every dealer you know has where it's either we need more customers we need more inventory we need just more 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 and you know trying to buy through the classifieds is a great opportunity but for most people who haven't automated it it's extremely tedious and time consuming. And most people just say, forget it. It's just a waste of time. Um, and so like for the long-term vision, you really think that this is the kind of solution that dealers are going to want to implement going forward. Um, you mentioned that all this has been accelerated by COVID. So maybe right place, right time for this product going forward, you think? Yeah. I mean, with, with COVID right now and the fact that um, our Canadian dollar is so weak, Americans are buying our used car inventory like crazy. So inventory here in Canada is extremely low. Our supply is low. So dealers are fighting like crazy. So if you can get those extra 10 deals a month, um, it's extremely valuable right now. Where do I see the business in the future? It's really hard to say. I mean, things move so quickly. And I think all I can really comment on that is, you know, wherever 
the car industry starts to head, we're we're going to be there and offering some sort of service to them to try to generate more business. You know, I alluded to a little earlier, but um, you know, a lot of dealers love to know reports, so like used car reports on, you know, say GM branded vehicles in, you know, this certain area, right? How many cars are up for sale? How many were Buick? How many were GMC? How many were Cadillac? How many were Toyota or competition? And just kind of understanding the market itself and where it's heading could be a transition point for us because, you know, we have a lot of data in our database that we can pull from to provide those answers to to customers who want them. Talk to me about being in a smaller community in Simcoe County, rather than say being in the GTA or some other larger center trying to build this company. Do you think being in a smaller, more rural area is easier, more difficult? What are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, you know, I live in Barrie and uh, we've been here for about five years. We moved up from the city and, um, you know, we, we love it up here. Like, Everything's just uh, you know a little more calm. It's less hectic, but from like a development standpoint, I mean we're we're dealing with most people remotely. Our developers remotely. Um, we deal with the DMZ remotely now, especially with COVID. But the beautiful thing about the Innisfil DMZ is that you know once kind of the COVID stuff settles down, we're gonna have access to office space. So when we need to get together, when we need to hire, when we need when you know we hopefully we start growing a team, we'll have that launching pad, you know, in Innisfil, which is 10 minutes from my house, which is awesome. And I mean, you know, if you just look at kind of what the city or the town of Innisfil is doing, like they're so tech forward, firstly, with trying to accomplish this DMZ in itself is is awesome, trying to bring tech and jobs to, to Innisfil. But I, I'm not sure if you know this, but they're the first town in all of Canada to accept Bitcoin to pay for your property tax, right? They don't have a traditional public transit system, they've partnered with Uber. Um, So, I mean, what better town to align yourself with, you know, if you're in Northern Ontario or north of the city, at least, um, than a company that is very tech forward. So, you know, we're we're blessed. We're, We're very fortunate to be a part of it. It's helped us immensely to get to where we are at this point. And uh, we really look forward to 2021. It's a great place to leave this, John. Um, Is there anything else you want to touch on? Anything that I didn't ask or that you'd like to communicate with the audience before I let you go? Yeah, I mean, anybody who's listening, just realize that uh, a startup is not something that is going to happen overnight. And you're going to face enormous challenges. Some challenges seem so big that you just want to throw your hands up and quit. (laughs) But if you believe in your product and it provides you know, value and a solution to a problem. Uh, Elon Musk said, and I'm going to, you know, paraphrase, but he basically said you get paid based on the complexity of your problem. So if you're solving a much larger problem, it's going to pay you, you know, exponentially compared to a simple problem. So just keep plugging away. And, you know, I I have to take my own advice sometimes because there's days that are harder than others, but uh, we just keep chugging along and, if you know you think your company could use the help of the DMZ, by all means apply. Like, what's the worst that can happen? Like, they're such a good resource. Um, they've been incredible to us and supportive. And yeah, we, we're, we're just really thankful. John, thanks so much for joining me. No problem. Thank you. Innisfil Accelerates is a program sponsored by the town of Innisfil. You can learn more about how they can help support your great business idea at InnisfilAccelerates.ca.